corpses, lumbering, rotting cadavers. They are amongst us. If there's a whip, there's, there's a, a way. way. <laughs> if there's a whip, there's a way. Uh, welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rutherman. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today we're going to be talking about Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem, which was released in 2002 on the GameCube, was published by Nintendo, and developed by Silicon Knights. You may recall Silicon Knights as the developer of Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes, and that's the only other thing I remember them doing. <laughs> uh, they made Two Human and then sued someone about Two Human and then lost and then never made anything ever again. <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. Yeah. Uh, but they made this game, which is... I was trying. I was trying to give you guys a pause so that I didn't have to give away my opinion of the game, oh, and instead oh. you guys could interject oh. with your strong, forceful opinions. Yeah. Well, I fully understand now. I do have a thesis on this game. Yes. Uh, which is, this game has an obscene amount of potential that is not actualized nearly ever. I feel like it's it has a lot that's going for it really strongly, and then it doesn't maximize on any of it. It is the jack of all trades, except I think it's more of like a nine of all trades. <laughs> it's a couple <laughs> steps below the jack. Oh, oh and uh, sorry. I, when you said nine, I assumed nine, nine out, out of ten. ten. I was like, oh, it's super good, but no, a nine in in playing um, cards. In, yeah, in playing cards sounds weird. Isn't it? In uh, yeah, poker? <laughs> pretty sure. Whatever. Understand your relative measure of this game's quality now. But what items within the game do you think were not actually actualized upon, and how could they have been? Man, is this? I mean, I can do the whole podcast. That's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I just want to start with like the the overall Resident Eviliness of this game mm -hmm. as like my base like jumping off point for this because it, I can give you a like the theme of this podcast is going to be I thought this was really great but and I think that the Resident Eviliness of this was really great but they messed up a couple of things I think specifically the design of like the mansion despite being taken basically straight out of Resident Evil already, there's one fewer door on the right side than oh, in the no. mansion on the in Resident Evil. And they go to different locations, obviously. My fucking God. I how know. can we ever accept <laughs> this outrage? But you're like the open like the, the entryway it looks almost the same like aesthetically, except it's not pre-rendered because they have full 3d environment so everything looks a little bit murkier than the contemporary gamecube version of resident evil that already existed mm -hmm. uh and that see that persists but that's not anything i'm gonna rail against but then all the puzzles are like one or two steps down from being like actually intriguing and your like way of going about things is just like there's a level of interaction removed from like everything. I don't know. That's that that's kind of like your initial experience with this. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like, if you're 
looking at this game kind of like through my modern uh a modern lens a lot of it feels that kind of shallow or not realized fully like you were saying but there's something about this game where it just kind of feels so like quintessential to that console generation uh and I don't know if, like, there was a certain amount of nostalgia that, like, a nostalgic feeling that it gave me. But I found this game to be, like, a, like surprising. I, I had got a surprising amount of enjoyment out of this game. It almost kind of feels like if I had been working in the video game industry at the time <laughs> that I would have made something like this. Where it's like, let's do, like, a survival horror. And I'd be like, but, like, make it, like, an action-adventure game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like it really appeals to me in that way the the traditional <laughs> survival horror experience is dead like in 2018 yeah however this is definitely not the game that killed it like no. you could never point to this game and be like they took it too far if anything they didn't take it far enough because the game that actually killed it was resident evil 4 and that came out about a year later and was uh <laughs> and they took it very far in the other direction. Wait, oh my god, really? Is it are you, did you just make that up or is it genuinely 1 year after this game <laughs> RE4 came out on the GameCube? <laughs> this game came out in 2004 and RE4 maybe it came out in 2006. You'd think I would know this. I don't know. Of all the people in this room to know this. You are the most likely, but that doesn't mean you are most likely to know facts about time. That's true. I, I kind of pride myself in that. About facts about time? No, I was right. It's 2005. So it was one year later. Damn, that really puts into perspective how much the, the like graphical improvements had been going through in the GameCube era and really how good RE4 was at time at its time. But we're not talking about Resident Evil fucking anything right. on this <laughs> podcast. We are talking about Eternal Darkness and part of the reason... I would like to point out before we talk about Eternal Darkness, yes. the Resident Evil 4 was on two discs. So, like, while uh, the graphical improvement was there, it also had the inconvenience of being a weird two-disc GameCube game. Similar to other Silicon Knights-developed game, Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes. Anyway, move on. No, instead of moving on, uh, did you know that I own a three-disc GameCube game? <laughs> I didn't. What game is that? Uh, it's a Lord of the Rings licensed turn-based RPG whose name I forget entirely because it was completely unmentionable and lost to time. That's so weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I got stuck on the elephants that show up during Return of the King. That does seem <laughs> like it would be hard to, to like, <laughs> tactics out, you Indeed. know? Yeah, you had the party and everything, but, like, sc scale was held relative, so the elephant was, like, like 15 stories tall. It was just a huge <laughs> elephant, and... They're really, I don't remember, I remember not being able to do much. I still have the discs to this day. That's good. In case we ever want to go back to We that. could do a podcast on it. <laughs> Potentially. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, this darkness... Is uh, eternal. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> bad. <laughs> this darkness was a port of an N64 variety of darkness, kind of. It was initially developed for the N64, which I think lends a lot 
of credence to our descriptions of, oh, this seems kind of limited and not fully developed in a lot of ways because the game had an enormous development time because they had to functionally nearly restart from scratch right. from moving to a cartridge-to-disc-based <laughs> system. Uh, well, like, a tiny disc, but disc-based on almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was even, I, I, I found this when doing weird image searches related to this game when I wanted to learn its, its deep secrets. Uh, is that it was actually on the box of the N64. Like, you, if you like certain later copies, if you turned around, it had like screenshots of the mansion. But yeah, like, like N64 Right. Yeah, it was very nice. Uh, but yeah, so I think this game feels old because it really wasn't even made for the GameCube console. Generation. Yeah, it, it wasn't new when it came out. No. <laughs> it was supposed to be our Resident Evil's like contemporary yeah. of some sort, not anywhere close to it. It ended up being the contemporary of the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. While we are talking about, well, especially like, it's like when the game was new, people would put the game into their GameCube consoles and boot it up. Uh, I mean, we did it when the game was old, but the, well, I actually so yeah. Annie mentioned like having kind of a nostalgic feeling playing this game because of its like, like its pedigree, I guess, mm -hmm. as being like a Silicon Knights developed GameCube title that was, like, of the genre that you don't see much anymore. And that's all very valid, but, like, I have a very legitimate nostalgic uh, experience with this game because I actually have played through it twice prior to this most recent time. Ooh. Uh, back when I was a kid, which is why I have a copy of it and why we didn't have to pay 180 fucking dollars <laughs> to <laughs> play this old GameCube game that I find to be mostly just mediocre in retrospect. Uh... <laughs> Um, but I do, you know, have to welcome Cthulhu back to the podcast after a brief hiatus, as it always is. It's it's almost as if the people who make video games are, like, a bunch of nerds who, like, H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft. <laughs> almost. Yeah. They're also racists. They're yeah. deep racists. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's just H.P. Lovecraft, I think. <laughs> uh, but... The way that this game handles the, its themes are one of the few things that I can say that I legitimately like a lot. Like, I think that while the story is a little bit, like, obnoxious, like, some of the characters are a little overacted, and there's, uh, uh, like, this importance it puts on stuff that maybe shouldn't be there, I think that overall, the way that they handle, like, Lovecraft is better than a lot of games up to this point have. Mm -hmm. um, not as well as other games have done in the in the future, but it was probably a high point when it came out. A lot of Lovecraft adaptations don't really try to port over the kind of worldwide scale of a lot of those old stories, which is something interesting you'd have uh, in, in, in it's still represented in like Lovecraft themed tabletop games even to this day, but in the in digital space and other media, it's people generally just go for the cool monsters and the horror. Right. Uh, but you'd have characters going, you know, in all these different continents all over the world, and this game does that both geographically and through time. What must have been pretty, I'm not going to say amazing, like the amount of diversity in terms of gameplay, space, and scenery at the time, but at least a notable amount. Like, how many playable characters are in this game total? It's like over 10, right? I think it's like 13. 
That sounds, both those numbers sound too high to me. I was thinking like eight. Do you ever repeat characters? No. Uh, oh, except for in the final boss. You right. play them all. I want to say it's like eight characters. Do you play them all in the final boss? Yeah. Huh. You, like, they, each one of their spirits gets summoned to help in the fight. There are ten chapters, like, numbered chapters in the game. Uh-huh. So, actually, okay, this can make sense. So ten. One of them lop is, off. is her grandpa or her dad or whatever. Yeah. Who does not help. Or you don't play as him. Right. So we'll say, like, probably nine, then. No. Let's go nine. I'm not 100% on that, but we might come to it <laughs> mm-hmm. as we go through it. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely do like the way that they have all these playable characters because there are actual statistical differences between them. Mm-hmm. And it isn't like an RPG where it's like, oh, make your build. It's just you're forced into whatever this particular person's strengths and weaknesses are. Or in the case of, like, max all weaknesses. Because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> fuck that guy. Uh, and, like, including, like, this hidden stamina meter, which, like, determines how fast you can run and how many attacks you can do. Which is, like kind of difficult to grok when you're first playing the game but sort of like it be- it's not really intuitive but it just ends up not mattering that much uh i think all of that is good but i disagree that there's a variety in any way as far as the gameplay goes i feel like the different weapons help but like every single person finds this like stone-walled temple with traps and zombies in it. It's, like, exactly the same level ten times in a row, minus, like, two or three of them. If I said gameplay, that's because I'm hallucinating from lack of sleep. And what I meant was aesthetics difference. (laughs) You're always in a different time and place, and they even, to the limited success, try to represent that visually. Yeah. And that's enough where I feel like if I was an 11-year-old who had never been scared before in my young innocence. Uh, it would have, re- and I got this game. It would have really helped. Yeah, that the game does feel really like overambitious. I think for when it was made, and that's mostly to its detriment. Like yeah. you know, looking at it now, but like it's it's done with like such a sincerity though. Like it really feels like they tried to make like a really awesome game with like a huge scope and like lots of characters. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but kind of like kind of love it for that. Like it really like shines through for me. For sure. And like I actually like a lot of the characters as well. Uh there are only a few that are like really stupid, which is a yeah, like is the, actually uh, an accomplishment. Like the colonial era guy. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Are we talking, is this is, is this the guy that you play as in the mansion? Yeah, with is the that Max, Maximilian? That's Maximilian. Yeah. yeah, he's the worst. He's he just is trash. <laughs> uh, also, I I put this note down, and this is the only time that, that I could possibly mention it. In his chapter, you get these flintlock pi- pistols. The sound that it makes when you reload them is the silliest fucking thing in the whole world. <laughs> Which I'll pl- I'll just put a clip in right now. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. No, no, we haven't heard. God damn it! You lie constantly. <laughs> I'm acting. <laughs> I'm these... trying to sell the illusion, JJ. <laughs> that we just listened to the clip. Speaking of illusions, what do you know about what a flintlock pistol sounds like when it's reloaded? <laughs> well, the way that it sounds in this game is like if you took like a soapy rag and just like 
rubbed it against a already clean window. <laughs> that was one of the last sound effects that they were doing. And whatever they were going to use got like corrupted, and they were like, "Oh, we had to pick something out of the sound library." <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's going to soapy rag. That's the one. <laughs> We've got to ship this. It goes out tomorrow. <laughs> they really did go back to the sound library like way too many times Possibly. in the development of this. There are lots of like audio cues that I kind of like in my hind brain know that I've heard before, yeah. but I cannot point to any specific source. Yeah, you get that a lot with, like, N64 era games. Like, there's this burp sound effect in Donkey Kong 64 that I know I've heard, like, 20 other places. <laughs> right. And it's always weird. This game uses, like, a gate-shutting sound effect that I have, like, strong audio memory tied to uh, GoldenEye 64. Like, they use the exact same sound. You're like a door clapper. I don't know what mm-hmm. it's supposed to be. These are for a gate in this game. I think we've stumbled upon an eldritch secret of sound and that we need to go like out into the world and pursue the location of the Nintendo sound library. Mm-hmm. You guys don't seem nearly as excited about this. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really boring. I will keep those eldritch tunes to myself then. Um, Bitches. <laughs> I do want to go back briefly to talk about um, the 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 like plot and Lovecraftian themes. Sort of the thing this game actually does the most correctly, mm-hmm. uh, and then we can move on from there if you would like. Uh, uh, one of the things that I do legitimately like about the the way that this story goes is the way that they introduce you early on to the concept of like the I don't know what they call them in this game like the ancients the old ones the old gods uh-huh. the those ones mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> them dudes <laughs> them dudes uh, and then they proceed to go because the game is just like a linear progression through time as you start and go toward the end you see like humanity it's basically the world of internal darkness is the game assumes that the the like the great old ones do exist and that they have an effect on the real world to the point where humanity is sort of like aware of sort of an extra terrestrial influence on it so they have this like progress of trying to understand this through like what is essentially just straight up knowing about something weird into like religion and like the way that they handle it into people attempting to study it with as like a scientific endeavor and then to the end of the game where it's sort of like just mysticality like sort of a modern magic sort of thing and i thought that they nailed like that all the way through in the way that like people's understanding of it gets like further and further from the truth until it eventually loops back around. And I think it's like key that they never actually go into explaining any of it. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's left up to your imagination the whole time and like getting to see the few glimpses of like that, that blubbering eye pit that's in that temple and like a few other, uh, 
eldritch horrors along the way and like getting to see all of the or hear all of like the when you do the spells like all of the like ancient chanting that happens yeah like it's there's just enough to like really create like a good uh eldritch horror atmosphere yeah, the 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 belching eye pit is uh, uh, Manturak. Manturak. Yeah. The Corpse God. That sounds there like the go. name that it would have. Yeah. yeah. No, Man- <laughs> Manturak the Corpse Man- God. Manturak the Corpse God is great in like ever. <laughs> I love everything about it as yeah. a thing. Yeah. It's just real good. Or as he's better known, the blubbering eye pit. The blubbering <laughs> eye pit. Colon, Manturak, the cor- colon again, the corpse uh, Colon again, the colons never end. end. The colons always repeating Manturak, the corpse I He's got so many mouths. How many colons do you think the dude has? Probably like We never thousands. get to see the bottom part of his body. Exactly. <laughs> he's like a bread pudding, sort of. Like, But the the bread parts, like the, pa- the pastry parts of it, are eyeballs and mouths. Yes, that's an, that's an accurate description. It's an eldritch bread pudding. <laughs> it is unknowable. Am I misremembering, or it are there... All- <laughs> are there also, like, some tentacles coming around the sides? He uh, Okay, so at one point, uh, people, like proceed into his chamber mm-hmm. and like uh happens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like a weird arm with another mouth on it comes over and just envelops somebody and then takes them back into the mass i'm assuming the way that i read it is that when not impaled by huge magical towers in a pentagram temple mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that appears to occupy all places at once, yes, uh, he can just like form different like okay. things, like a plastic man situation, <laughs> mm-hmm. but like way scarier his, than a plastic his man. Tr- <laughs> his true form is unknowable, JJ. Uh, okay, fine. All right, sure. I was just trying to see how well the, like, unknowable flesh creature really mapped to our understanding of bread pudding, which is comparatively much more solid. It has fewer tentacles, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I just, I really fucking love bread pudding, and I don't want us, I don't want to give off the impression that You have to think about Manturak, the corpse god, every time that you... (laughs) Yeah, because there's actual food that really is just flesh piles. So it's not even that far gone that you'd assume that this bread true, pudding yeah. is just like a, a pile of eyes and mouths. <laughs> Hold on, wait. We're, we're, we're not still in the harvester episode right now. We need to move. <laughs> we need to go in a less weird direction. Uh, there are a shitload of mechanics in this game. Yes. Just like mechanics piled on top of other mechanics. That also somehow makes the game feel older. Mm. In a, in, to me anyway. Yep. No, like, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> the kind of like just start of the PS2 era game like three early three D games where there was just not a lot of focus in like the action adventure space at all, and you just had a million things just all on top of each other. What was that game that made the, the whole theme that had the movie based around it and it was Pixar-y? Um, Ratchet and Clank? Yeah, with the guns that turn people into yeah. chickens and yeah. nonsense. It's like that game. It's There's just yeah. lots of stuff all over the place. I mean, Ratchet and Clank was a platformer with 
to focus on combat with a bunch of different weapons. Yeah. The the reason that Ratchet and Clank works in a way that this game does not work is that Ratchet and Clank sort of limits its ki- like control system to being like you have a ton of weapons, but they only work on enemies. And so they put enemies in the game and you interact with the enemies with your weapons, but you're not going to like for now later games in the series, I haven't played like the most recent one or I'm not going to go into all of this, but later games in the series may have implemented more stuff like this, but, like, you wouldn't, like, get a freeze ray and then shoot the ground and be able to, like, slide along it. Mm. And I feel like this game puts inside of you the expectation that you can do crazy things with the systems in the game, but you just cannot. And also it doesn't offer enough of a playground with the mechanics that it already has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit, I think, in the Bayonetta episode, where we were like, why does this game have, like, a Star Fox level where you're riding on a... <laughs> I don't even remember what it, it was. It was like a missile, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, it was just like a thing back then that people thought they needed to have a bunch of gameplay variety to keep people interested. But, uh, yeah, it's. I think it comes down in this game to, like, the movement mechanics, like... They're really rigid and stiff, almost as if this was originally an N64 game or something. <laughs> uh, so, like, combat feels clunky. And then they have melee combat, and they give you guns to use to, and their spells. And it's really difficult to, like, walk around, like, and position yourself and then, like, go into the menu and equip the right spell because you don't have it. And then, like, <laughs> use the spell, but then it has to, like, do a little charge thing before it goes off. And then you gotta, like, switch to the gun and then target the guy's head, but then you can't get it because it's going to his arms. And then uh, you finally get it to the head and then you shoot him in the head. And that's what combat's like. <laughs> There's just a few too many things going on. Yeah, a lot of steps. <laughs> it's yeah. really hard to, to accent horror as your primary theme if all threatening activity that is really approaching you does so at a speed so slow that it allows you to go through like the six or seven different forms that you have to like dot and sign and fill out before you can go through. It's like bureaucracy <laughs> in combat. <laughs> it is. Uh, and it's thus, to me anyway... Kind of kind of boring. I remember being pretty pumped on this game early when I was first starting out in the theming and the the initial start in the mansion. And then when I hit Marcus Aurelius or whatever his name is. Pius Augustus? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Roman, 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 Roman. Right, yeah. Uh, when I'm just like, oh, wait, no, is. I don't have to run from the zombies. I just kill all of them immediately with a mechanic I have mastered in less than 10 minutes. Yeah, it's a oh very boy. it's it's a really simplistic thing. Like it feels like it should be more engaging than it is because it's like, oh, target the body parts you can do. But like you can with nearly every character in the game easily cut off the basic enemy's head and both of their arms before they're able to do an attack. Right. Yep. Which is a little and silly. I think it's with the second character. It's like the uh, the girl, like yeah. the African girl. I was calling her Angie, but that it cannot be it. But I think I got it because the name of like the location she's in is Angkor, uh, okay. and I don't know why, but I don't remember what her name is. <laughs> well, though. and then Angie, as we'll call her. Uh, there's a part with her, like, 
where you get the weapon and then you get to a point where it can break Mm -hmm. if you don't save a particular guy in time. And I I managed to save him in time, but then afterwards I I died and it was like my first death and then I had to like start over the whole game (laughs) because I hadn't saved until that point because I'm used to modern games. In fairness, Uh, I did warn him about this. Yeah, I I forgot. Good. but uh, the second time through, I did not save him in time, and the weapon broke. And I thought that was, like, a really good source of tension. And But right after that chapter, they just give you a spell that repairs things yeah. that are broken. And, and so makes... you never have to worry about it again. Yeah. And makes your weapons stronger as well. Yeah. So it's, like, doubly who gives a shit. So it seemed like... Like, maybe they were onto an interesting idea there and then immediately changed their minds. <laughs> Squandered it. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of that, as we've already kind of been discussing for a while here through a couple of different angles, like, I really liked the spell, the system in concept. The idea of spells as language plays in really well to the whole, like, eldritch knowledge thing. Yeah. And can facilitate a kind of nice experimentation, which the game actually does allow. Like, you can make spells that the game doesn't tell you how to make. Yeah. yeah. The spell system's actually my favorite thing in the game. It is absolutely genius. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, like, <laughs> no, I mean, the idea of it. Yeah. The actual execution... Maybe not so genius. Uh, it's so close, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, good. can you imagine if they had allowed you to, like, make bad spells? Like, if you just <laughs> threw shit together yeah. at random, like, occasionally you'd get a spell that just did something very bad mm-hmm. or, like, a little bit bad, like, worked kind of as intended? Because all it's... of the runes have a meaning. So you could hash out sort of like what you were trying to do. It's exactly like in D&D when Daniel can make a magic item and he has to roll for its quality or whatever, however that works. Yeah. And it can be like a not so great mm-hmm. version if you, depending on how he rolls. Yeah, very not so great. But I feel like very this... Very not so great. Yeah. I feel like this kind of a system could be cool in like an RPG or something. Like it's interesting to see people do like magic in a different way. Like, I don't know. I could just see this, like, being... It's, like, an untapped, like, really good idea that I like to see people try to iterate on. I agree. Though, uh, in another... uh, One thing they did differently about magic is that they make it recharge by having you walk in a circle. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, which is annoying. Wait, that's what that's tied to? Walking? It's it's It says, like, the, the tutorial message related to it says this meter recharges when the character is in motion. So they just mean move around. Oh, God. Yeah, because I also didn't remember reading that and was like, what makes my magic recharge? Is it like Pokemon rules? Is it, <laughs> is it based on steps? Turns out, yes, it is. Yeah. So, like, I was frequently just, like, would, like, get into a combat encounter, get, like, was woefully unprepared for it, left the room, walked in a circle a bunch, then, like, used the shield spell, healed up, (laughs) you know, like, continue walking in circles, enchant my weapon, like, enchant the shotgun and then go in and, like, blow the enemy's head off in one hit, you know, kind yeah. of a thing. <laughs> ne- never have I, like, legitimately been like, the only way that they could have d- done this is by just putting pickups in the game. Like, make enemies drop a little magic vial 
and don't have it recharge from walking around because it's so it disincentivizes having fun and incentivizes <laughs> yeah. walking in a circle. Uh, either that, or it would have had to have been like more tightly um, paced so that you're doing more like exploration or whatever in between combat, so it just refills naturally. But then, why not just make it auto regen? Right, yeah. Like, it just, at a certain point, just, like, start refilling it at, yeah. you know, how no, many yeah. ticks per second. I feel like, uh, like, Zelda magic pots would probably be the best scenario for this game. I fucking hate the Zelda magic bar. I hate it <laughs> well, so much. Well, I don't usually like it either, but for a game uh, at this time, that would probably be the best solution. <sighs> It's like magic refills. I assume you're talking about the like uh, magic in Zelda as it appears in like Ocarina of Time through to Correct. Skyward Sword. Yes, because that uh, like or there's really, really just through Wind Waker because it isn't in any of the games after that. Oh, I, I didn't even think about it. Like that. <laughs> but, like I, I've played a lot of like a ton of Skyward Sword. I played it through like three, four, three, four times at uh-huh. least, right? Uh, just don't remember. I'm I'm too good at the game, is what it is. Yeah. Shut up and get to your point. Uh, effectively, that's exactly the same system that we have here, except the way that you recharge it isn't by picking up little pots. <laughs> you you don't. You see, my you've identified and separated the part that I don't like so much. It's the pots part. It's the pots part. What? It's the dumbest, most conventional way you could ever represent <laughs> like magical power. Like we have I cannot think of a single item that is like more normal to humanity than pots. Like we have when you dig up the most ancient and forgotten places of human existence, <laughs> what you find are pots. Yeah. Discarded broken pot shards. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like a magic pot like it's just like a pot with like a green thing it's a it's supposed to be like a little potion bottle but it's not that it's a pot but it's <laughs> it's got kind of a bottle shape it depends on it's what got game like, it's, it's got in. like a wide base and then it goes up to like a tall skinny like yeah it's like a like a like an Erlenmeyer meyer flask yeah like yeah. a yeah like a magic potion bottle <laughs> Uh, it's a little stupid, but I'm yeah. okay with it. I would have preferred to have those in this game, though, mm-hmm. than the current system of yeah, walking in agreed. circles. Or even just, like, a consumable resource that you pick up, like like pieces of the heart of Mantarak, the corpse gun. Oh, yeah, this, this is a game that really needs, like, a living organ to consume Yeah, as, yeah. A, as an item, yeah. That would be kind of dope, all things considered. Mm-hmm. That might go over Nintendo's line here, which actually we haven't addressed yet. This game was published by Nintendo. Yes, this is the first M-rated Nintendo published game, I believe. That could be true. Because <laughs> they've... Before, like, Bayonetta 2, they had only made, I think, two? Like, this game and not near. There's another game that's like, Geist. I think it's just this game and Geist that were the M-rated Nintendo games before. I don't, I don't even know what Geist is. Don't don't really look into it. It's not worth <laughs> right. time. None of the like Metroid games are M-rated or nope. anything. Nope. No. They're mostly E, actually. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be, the Prime yeah, series. That would be like, the only thing I could think of that might... Yeah. So, to be fair, Super Metroid probably should have been... If Super Metroid was made now... It would probably have an M rating because it was like E ten plus. It it would be E ten plus. That's <laughs> mature for Nintendo audiences. Uh, <laughs> we're all babies. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I don't know how much really there is to say. I just think that Nintendo wanted to diversify a bit coming into the GameCube generation and probably saw this as an opportunity to like pull in the Resident Evil people a little bit. I guess, but if remember, this was an N64 plan, meaning they had invested this money like at the same time Resident Evil was becoming a trend. So I guess I the- mean, they had stuff like um like GoldenEye and like Perfect Dark which were more aimed at like a mature audience at the time, like probably just like a just making an investment in something they thought like you know how business works. <laughs> <laughs> I do know how business works, Andy. Like, they were like, it seems like there's like a growing market for more mature games, so let's, uh, let's fund this let's one. Let's do some of these. Yeah. But you're describing like sexy teen violence, not like revolting flesh violence, which is like a, a completely different audience in my mind. I also sexy really... teen... <laughs> like vi- what? Not, it's violence that what appeals about? to sexy teens. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not not like zombievers. <laughs> okay. It's a different thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think though also you you're giving the timeline here slightly too little credit. Mm-hmm. The GameCube released in 2000. Resident Evil released in 1996. So there's actually a four year period where this could have been in development. Where like assuming that they saw Resident Evil and went, let's make that again, <laughs> which I don't think is what happened here. Yeah, and that in like Silent Hills was also popular. Or Silent Hill. Hill, yeah. Singular. Uh, was popular Don't on make the me PS- cry yeah, on the podcast, Andy. <laughs> on the PS1, so they were like, maybe we need some survival horror over here. That's true, yeah. And then Silent Hill 2 didn't come out until the PS2, so... It seemed like it was an open field of survival horror yeah. at the time. Uh, Speaking of which, man, they got those camera angles right. That's one thing I want to give this game specific praise for. I don't know how they could have improved that, but com- compared to, like, the... to remake... Or yeah. whatever that was R- called. Our remake. Yes. <laughs> Something like that. I, this game, instead of doing like the jerky transitions between rooms where the camera just ships immediately, does these like cool little smooth movements in the 3D yeah, space. Yeah, like pans. Because, it, because it's not constrained by the pre-rendered backgrounds. Yeah. Because if you panned over a pre-rendered background, it would look hilarious. <laughs> as like the room stays in exactly well, the same position. It's like leaving forced perspective. <laughs> yeah. Well, you would just pan in a different way. You would pan just left and right. Right. You couldn't turn it. <laughs> yeah. no, no, so you'd have to... It would just be a flat would, image. Yes. It'd be a man, like, pulling back yes. on a piece of paper. And moving, yeah. yeah. No, but, yeah, you would have to design the pre-rendered backgrounds with that in mind and make them, like, wider than they needed to be yeah. to do something like that. But it, like, it really it removes a lot of the things we complained about with the early Resident Evil titles because you can have smooth analog-based control of your character even as you're moving between these like really scary, dramatic, constrained camera angles. Uh, and that also removes the, any kind of necessity for tank controls or any kind of other system to compensate for that loss. So yeah, good on them. That's something they did legitimately better than a lot of comparable horror titles of the time. Now, if only they used that technology for good instead of making <laughs> st- perfectly symmetrical square rooms with two hallways, <laughs> like every level in this game is. 
that doesn't take place in the mansion. The mansion, which I legitimately think is fantastic, mm-hmm. like from a level design perspective, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, those levels all get a pass from me. Yeah. Like anytime that you're in the mansion, I'm okay with it. But every time that you're in a shitty temple, <laughs> fuck it. I specifically really liked the church. The church is good. That was my favorite. Like, and one thing we haven't mentioned is you re- reuse each location like three times mm-hmm. uh, throughout history. You know, it's in a different time period with a different character each time. So, like, the levels get like added onto and changed in various different ways, which was obviously like a technical limitations why they did that, but I think they handled it really well. Yeah. Like I, I think that actually added to the game. Agreed. Yeah. I do want to mention well, I think we should take a break. I think does everybody agree with that? Whatever. Sure. But I, I do want to mention while we're on the topic of the church that uh Anthony has my favorite level in the game. Uh if you recall Anthony was the he's the the monk who is going to go warn Charlemagne about a, an attempt on his life. And I love this level because it's just Anthony's terrible, awful, no good, very bad day, <laughs> where he, like, rolls into church regular day, immediately corpse on the floor, like, some guy gives him a thing to give to the king, and it, like, shocks him and curses him. He's slowly turning into a zombie. He gets sent to the trapper dimension. He encounters, like, a horrible three-headed beast. This is the first time the player sees any of this. <laughs> and then, like, he's decaying over time. You're like, man, Anthony just can't catch a fucking break. And then he gets there. King's already dead. And then they fucking <laughs> kill him, too. <laughs> How did we not talk about the Trapper Dimension yet? Oh, we'll get to it. Okay. After the break. <laughs> Welcome back. Hopefully, learning all that you did on the first half. You did not slip into madness from all the the eldritch knowledge that we've bestowed upon you. Which is to say, let's talk about sanity. Not like the concept of sanity. Aww. I mean, we could if you feel it's relevant, but... You mean sanity's requiem? Sanity's is that what you requiem. Want to talk about? Which... <laughs> Just as, like, a quick aside, because I don't want to get too much into the weeds on this topic, mm-hmm. because I feel like the topic is designed... Like, the sanity meter, as a concept, is designed to get you lost in the weeds so you don't think about how linear it actually is. Mm-hmm. But probably the best sanity mechanic in the whole game is when Alex goes slightly too insane after, like, the third or fourth level... And it play like it shows a thing. It's like, thank you for playing Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Rec Room. Please, the story will be continued in Sanity's Redemption. <laughs> That's really, really funny. And then like, she comes back, she's like, this can't be happening. <laughs> it's like this little bit of commentary they slipped in in like a really funny and effective way. Agreed. The joke is fantastic. It comes at their own expense, though. It does. This game is so poorly named, and it ages worse and worse in the name department every year. I don't think Eternal Darkness is by itself that bad of a name. Eternal Darkness is the most 2006 name I've ever heard in my life. 
<laughs> it does sound a little generic, but I would agree. I think it's fine. I believe that the exact phrase eternal darkness is used in Dark Souls, so it can't be that bad, right? <laughs> oh, good point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, now it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Moving uh, on. Now, I think it's weird, though, um, that they use a lot of those as jokes mm-hmm. when it's supposed to be like a, a survival horror game. Because, like, there are plenty of them that actually, like, or not plenty, like, there were a couple standout ones that actually, like, kind of startled me a bit. Mm. Like, the one where I went to save the game, and it was, like, deleting your save <laughs> file. And I was like, oh, shit, did I accidentally do something? Like, oh, wait. Yeah. The game. The metal <laughs> ones are arguably some of the best, because, like, you have your, like, standard... We should briefly stop this conversation. Describe what the sanity meter actually yeah. is. So as you see enemies, or rather when enemies see you, they get like little laser eye beams that come out of their face and it, it, it reduces a, a plainly visible green meter on the screen. And this is really the worst part about it. When you look at a game, like, because sanity mechanics are weirdly a thing that like probably has a wiki page somewhere at this point where like this is something that is quantifiable in games now and most of the time they aren't represented in such a like mechanical as i described linear way and this is kind of like one of the first if not the first to actually include it as a mechanic so i'll give it a pass for sure but it does make it less like intriguing i guess it's just like a bar that describes how much crazy shit you're gonna see yeah it's they basically make it like a health bar it's it's as gamified as you could make it yeah but on the now that that's out of the way (laughs) some of the sanity effects are very mechanical in nature where it's like you walk into a room and there's just like a dozen enemies and you're like, oh, I'm going to die. I actually do like that they try to incentivize the combat by making that refill your sanity meter. Right. By doing a finishing finishing. move. Yeah. It's like the uh, glory kills in... In Doom. Yeah. Yeah. Though, definitely uh, the most glorious kill is the one with like the light swords where you just like throw it down <laughs> into their back <laughs> and then pull it back up is 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 just fantastic yeah but uh, anyway the kind of finishing move that says you're icky and i don't want to touch you <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty true most of the time unless of course once again you're max bucking the trend and being a weirdo and performing autopsies on everything that dies uh <laughs> Though, actually, I don't know if you guys did this. After performing an autopsy on an enemy, you can then go into the menu and, like, look at the autopsy report. Mm -hmm. And it has this, like, fantastic voiceover of Max describing it and, like, being incredibly melodramatic about it. Like, he's like, That which was dead (laughs) is now very much alive! Uh, I remember looking at that autopsy page, but don't remember there being a voiceover. So you may—I think you have to like activate it with a button prompt uh, or something. Uh, yeah, uh, it's really good. I'm, I'm a big fan of it <laughs> as a as a thing. We kind of touched on it earlier. Did you guys? I don't know how far this extends, but I do know of one case specifically 
David Hayter is in this game for like one second. Is he? Yes. He's it like very, very early. I am certain that he is the voice of both of the like generic Roman guards that you leave behind as pious. Like <laughs> like like no doubt in my mind, David Hayter right. used as this generic NPC that is forgotten. I don't know where other secret voice talents lie. I'm hoping that, like, the guy who's done these crazy things is also some famous guy. Is actually, like, a famous guy? Speaking of specifically that scene at the beginning and voice acting... I wanted to tell you about this, uh, too. They make the very weird decision uh, of having it start out where they're actually speaking Latin or Greek or whatever they would have been speaking. Um, and then it, mid-sentence, switches <laughs> to English. And the first time, like I said, I had to play the beginning twice. Uh, first time I watched it, I was like, was there like, was that like a bug? Did like it start playing with different audio settings what, and then <laughs> switched mid-sentence? Like, the fact that it happened mid-sentence seemed so weird. And I was like, are, were, and then on the second time, I'm like, were they really just trying to establish, hey, not all these characters are actually speaking English? Did, you did, dumbass. Did you genuinely think that they recorded, that they localized this game entirely in Greek? That made more sense to me. <laughs> than what actually Than what happened. they were actually doing. I, have a, I don't know if this is time itself coming to scratch the backsides of my mind, but I feel like we've had this specific discussion before, maybe in the context of films, where mm -hmm. another film did this exact same thing to try including like the mid-sentence switch and you were upset about it it just it makes no sense to do it mid-sentence <laughs> it, it's it's really strange for you i mean like i get what they're going for they do it again when they're speaking italian yeah like it's just it could have been it's the execution is awful well <laughs> it does establish that it's a, it's a switch for the viewer and that the characters aren't just bilingual yeah. Because if they broke it up sentence by sentence, they could be the ones uh, switching. I, I feel like that's a stretch to suggest that somebody would think that that's what was going on if they did it that way. I don't know, man. Focus testers can be real. <laughs> You're going to have real nitpicky complaints sometimes. Yeah. Uh, the only other person in here that... Uh, I'm even tertiarily aware of. So you're correct, David Hayter yes. does play Roman Legionnaire 1. <laughs> <laughs> A spectacular waste of his talents. Uh, is uh, Reno Romano, uh, who is Batman, Batman in the Batman animated series, like the uh, WB one. Oh. From like way back in the day. I'm actually surprised to see him on this cast list. Uh, he he plays Kareem in the third level, <laughs> and that's about all, uh, which is fine, I guess. What were what were we what were we Sanity talking meter. about? Sanity meter. Yes, that was so long ago. <laughs> yes, Do we want to talk about the trapper dimension? <laughs> yeah, we should mention everyone's favorite dimension, <laughs> the trapper dimension. Genuinely, don't know what you mean. Uh, okay, so. The, as we've mentioned, there is just a whole plethora of shallow game mechanics in here. Yeah. Uh, and the worst of them all is <laughs> the Trapper Dimension. There are these little scorpion-like enemies uh, that can 
like emit like a pulse. Like mm-hmm. what they do is they see you and then they like explode. Well, technically they hear you. They well, can't they, see you. They hear you. Yeah. And then you can you, sneak by them. Yeah. You, you, but if, you know yeah. you don't. And if you get hit by the pulse, you get taken to the Trapper dimension, which is just like four platforms. Like it's space. like yeah, it's like a what like four or five little islands. Connected by these different colored teleporters mm-hmm. with like some enemies, and you just kind of go through it to the end and you leave. Yeah, thank you for visiting the Trapper Dimension. Yeah. Please come again. And <laughs> it's like the most bizarre, pointless thing ever. Yeah, you see, basically, its existence is entirely useless. It's just there as like an inconvenience. Yeah, but and it does let you refill either your health, stamina, or magic, which is like a little. Yeah. Uh, plus side, because it does kind of suck to get sent there early, so yeah. they give you a little... little incentive yeah. not to just take the purple portal every time. Yeah. So by trapper, you meant, like, a place in which individuals are trapped. Well, those little enemies are called trappers. Oh. So yeah, those yeah. are the trappers, okay. and this is where they put you. I would like to propose that we change the name of the dimension to the Trapper Keeper. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly where I went. I was like, was there but, a secret spot in the game that was full of, like, crazy the, eldritch unicorns? The trappers are not kept in there, though. That's true, yeah. Was the tra- it's okay? So it's the trapper's keeper. <laughs> there you the there. Yes. The trapper's keeper. Yes, the tra- trapper's keep. The tra- oh, trapper. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds uh, like a Disneyland ride. It does, but they do do one cool thing with the trapper dimension, which is you get the ability to summon trappers. Uh, like halfway into the game or whatever. Yeah, and there's two points like in like two different puzzles where you have to send stuff there to get it, move it out of the way. And one is like a corpse and the other is like some kind of like, it's like a bookcase object. Or something. Yeah, yeah. That was like, had like some kind of spell put on it to where it couldn't be physically moved. Right. And both of those things are, will just be in the trapper dimension from then on. So if you go there, you, you see them and it's just kind of like, huh? It's a I, neat remember, little... I remember a n- nice little detail there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's it. I don't think it was worth including the mechanic for, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because this is even... It's hard to to say where, like, certain things should have been cut or moved or expanded upon. Because I feel like just the scope of this game is just far too wide. That, like... Because I like the Trappers in concept... I also like the idea of having, uh, like, a spell that creates a thing that can then go under. It's like the beetle in Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm. Like, I like oh, being able that. to summon them. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. That's a neat little thing, but, like, you, one has to exist with the other the way that it's currently set up, even though I think that it could be better if you just had, like, a fucking RC car or whatever. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, with, like, all of that would still function just with a different sort of wrapping on it. A trapping, if you will. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this game, I mean, we've already identified that it has enough mechanics in it that could be separated out into all sorts of tiny variations on the same genre with different mechanics. Do you get, like, an entire Alan Wake sequel out of the Canadian firefighter guy and his murder spree? What a strange... Yeah, everything about this game is weird. I kind of forgot about some of that. That was maybe the one that 
felt the most out of place. <laughs> well, it's the, the firefighter. Yeah. Guns make rules or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, because you have... Okay, this is actually another big thing with the mechanics that we need to uh, address. And then I kind of want to change gears, but... Mm-hmm. When you're making a survival horror game, I think this game had the right idea in making melee weapons your, like, go-to, like, this is what you should be using most of the time. But they make ammo too plentiful for the guns to disincentivize using them at all. Like in the, this is incredibly important to make sure that you have this for like when the real shit starts. But then the guns feel like ass to use. Like they're really bad. Mm -hmm. Where in a game like this, they should be, your ammo should be more scarce and the gun should feel amazing. Like they should be one-shotting everything. Even the elephant gun, as funny as it is that it's there doesn't do enough damage, which is a weird thing to say about a blunderbuss. Like, it should just demolish something. It it really feels like the guns are tacked on to me. Like, they initially just wanted it to have a melee combat system, and then they were like, well, we gotta put guns in it. (laughs) Once again, everyone knows you you shoot zombies in the head. Come on. Has two flintlock pistols yeah. running around like but, an idiot. Yeah. Instead of that, they should have just made it melee combat and maybe made that feel better to play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's even worse is that you have these, like... And some of the melee weapons have this, like, com- combo move <laughs> where you'll swing a couple of times and then you, like, kick the person and then they fall down and then you can't do anything you just you stand there and you go like well he'll stand up eventually and then i'll hit him again that's when you're supposed to feel a sense of pride and accomplishment in what you have managed to accomplish in the game systems chad that's i think that's actually uh for when there are like hordes of enemies yeah you can can knock knock someone down down so you can deal with the others Except you're never in a situation that's actually precarious. Not really, no. That's real. There are plenty of fake precarious situations. There's there's one part where in order to progress, you just have to kill like 15 consecutive guys that are coming through like a damage field wall. Like that was a little precarious, but they did send them at you like two at a time. So it was pretty easy. Mm -hmm. I would have gained so much respect for this game if like once because i think you only would need to do it once something that seems at first blush like an obvious fake out in the game is just straight up real even if it's one of the even if it's one of the completely ridiculous ones like your items are gone or something like that right like like i would have loved this game so much and felt a whole lot more tension in, uh, in a lot of those strange sanity meter moments if there was any chance at once like my the back of my brain stopped kind of twitching at within their initial experience that i thought that they were actually real like it it was too easy especially since we live in a post crt era to identify so many of them as like oh, like ah ha ha you got me like in the same way it, it 
these moments feel like someone who's like jumping up out at you, not like a, a jump scare way, but in like a my ten year old brother on Halloween way, where in he's a just boo wearing a mask. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. literally the word boo. Uh, in which afterwards you just go like, ah, uh, you really got me in a way that doesn't actually feel like horror. Yeah. And I would want to feel. I feel like I could feel more tension in those moments if there was any chance that they were genuine threats. Yeah, it's like. Um, we kind of started to get at earlier. It's like they played them all for jokes when it would have been way... It seems like it would have been a way better idea to actually try to use them for scares. Yeah. Which or they even, just don't even at all. Or even just like... Because you can keep the ones that are in there that are like the iconic ones, like having your head yeah. give you a monologue when you pick it up, or the the video screen like where it like cuts out and all that shit can stay. Yeah, and like some of them where like you transition to another room and you're like controlling an enemy like that's cool the first time you know? yeah same with like once you appear on the ceiling and shit yeah but the ones that they what they should do is incorporate it more so rather than entering into a room and being in like a crazy room you're instead just in a regular room but there are some sanity effects going on so maybe there's like an extra enemy who's not real and if you attack it, like, your sword goes through it, and you have to go fight the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, or, stuff that they don't call attention to immediately. Yeah, mm-hmm. and don't flash out of existence after five seconds. Yeah. Right, like, right. Yeah. yeah, and the first time you go into a room and you can't damage the enemy, it's like, that's actually, like, a tense situation for a couple seconds. And then it goes, but then they this squander. can't be happening. Yeah, and then yeah. it becomes, like, a punchline. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's like... Some steps in the right direction, but not anywhere near enough. Mm-hmm. They got about a quarter of the way to the finish line. They got to the first hurdle, and we're like, eh. <laughs> 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 this, is, this is too hard. Let's just, yeah. let's just put in some elements of the Psycho Mantis boss fight and call it a day. <laughs> Speaking of a quarter of the way to the finish line, uh, there was a spiritual successor to this game on Kickstarter. That didn't get the funding goal and uh-huh. it was never made at all. Uh, it had another equally generic, horrible name uh, that I've already forgotten because it's generic and horrible. Long lasting, low light, insanities, apocalypse. <laughs> Long lasting, low light? You, just, you just stole that from like a foreign Amazon product page description. Yes. Of a book light. Like, <laughs> Eternal dimness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forever night. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, Forever night, insanity's apocalypse. <laughs> We've nailed it. <laughs> uh, uh, I actually, uh, one thing I really liked in this game was the puzzle progression through the mansion with Alex, where you would play a chapter as a character, gain a new ability from reading about them. You know, that's the in-world excuse for it. And then have to, like, find where in the house you could use that to progress. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, it functions like a reverse Zelda dungeon where after you get the item, you just use it one time mm-hmm. before you then go and get the next one. Yeah, but man, that library, or not library, the room through the library with like the all the cranks and like the big telescope. Oh, the telescope room. Yeah. Oh, yeah, screw the crank. Man, room. what a red herring. <laughs> I kept coming back to that. <laughs> 
And, like, my mind built it up as, like, this crazy, like, mist-esque puzzle <laughs> that I was gathering all these pieces, like, for to, like, finally be able to do it. And then once you get to the point in the game where you can do it, it's the simplest fucking puzzle ever. <laughs> you just, like, get the missing crank and, like, turn it, and now you're able to, like direct a laser yeah like it's, it's just like so a regular laser like thing. i don't know what because it's like right inside that first door on the right <laughs> and like, you have access to, to it, it immediately immediately and i just kept coming back to it and being like oh man that telescope room <laughs> you're like right every time somebody mentions like a star or a planet you're yeah. like you gotta, <laughs> gotta take this note about the mist crank <laughs> Oh, yeah, but thing. it really did have that kind of feeling oh, to it. I was, yeah. I've been laughing continuously because of how spot on that was <laughs> as yeah. an observation. You want it to be like, you you want to really use your brain and figure out what it is that it wants you to do, and it just doesn't allow for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mist has really like ruined a whole. Not really genre, but like tool in the puzzle game designer's tool belt. In that expectation set up, set up by anyone who's ever played that game, uh, now prevents you from ever putting a puzzle in front of a player that's not like, oh, you just don't have the piece yet, come back to it. Right. Without it being immediately built up as this like <laughs> elaborate thing that's way more important. Well, because it, it doesn't even, is. it doesn't feel like you're missing a piece when you first go there. No. It's just like you want to turn the crank because you can interact yeah. with things. It, yeah, it feels like you just don't understand it yet. Yeah. It's also aesthetically really mist like because yeah. you're in that room with like the fading sunlight coming through <laughs> the, the like it all looks very regal. The color palette's different than any other room in the house. Yep. Yep. And like even like the fact that you get the little crank to like go into the slot feels like it it just feels like a mist thing. Yeah. It just straight up does. I think it's like anytime normally we have a puzzle that's missing a piece in conventional design, what'll happen is either you can't interact with it at all, often to the extent where there'll literally be a text pop up that's like, I don't have the piece to this literal puzzle. Right. Uh, or It'll, there'll be a button, and you press it, and nothing happens. And then that's your signal, and you have one interaction that's taken care of, and it's done. A crank is the worst way to represent that situation, because it, 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 like, it exists on an arc. Like There's literally like an infinite number of positions you could have the crank in. Mm-hmm. And there's like two cranks, initially. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they just have... Do not set up a situation wherein you're missing a puzzle piece, where... You can your your puzzle can have an infinite number of inputs put into it before you get what you need to actually solve it. Right. Though, and that's also the other thing is that like, on paper, that's genius in including the crank thing because no one is going to even try to like randomly get it right mm-hmm. before they know that they are missing something like the that signals to the player you need specific information to perform this puzzle which then sets your mind ablaze going <laughs> what cool yeah. information and like remember that three second cutscene of like the camera flying past saturn earlier <laughs> what does it mean <laughs> it the position of saturn it said that it was august 13th 2002 well uh, <laughs> Over the positions of the planets. <laughs> You're like <laughs> browsing the internet, trying to get coordinates for all the planets. But yeah, and it just, something about it just feels different than all the other puzzles that you encounter, that it really sticks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, fuck that. Uh, oh, one thing that I do uh, that I just mentioned and I just want to like throw in is there's like couple of cutscenes that just show space. <laughs> it seems like really inexplicable. The purpose of it, I guess, is because they're waiting for like a planetary alignment. This is alluded to on the box art as well. Uh, in order for like the summoning of whatever to occur. Like, their ritual to be complete. But, like, out of context, just occasionally showing planets flying by (laughs) is the most confusing thing to have happen. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, I was just... I remember I got pushed in that well with all the corpses. I was was there for a minute. That was Mercury. (laughs) Like, that's a planet. (laughs) I don't... The correlation makes no sense at all. Planets aren't foreboding outside of the context of terrifying planet-based prophecies. <laughs> right. Like, when you just see videos of moving planets, m- my brain, anyway, goes to, like, Bill Nye, first and foremost, mm-hmm. above all other possible planet video sources, which is like a very it's a very high levity in all these, like, kiddie science planet videos. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a happy moment that your brain goes to. You want to talk about the, the final boss at all? We should probably talk about the final boss at least, like, for a bit. <laughs> for a hot minute. Yeah. So, uh, my full disclosure is I've watched the final boss take place twice in the last two weeks, but I only got about halfway through the game this time, so it's been ten years since I bought the final <laughs> boss. But it seemed like it was kind of hard. Well, the final, like, the final boss itself is kind of like a standard action adventure boss. Oh, like against Augustus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it is cool that you get to summon all the different ghosts of all the uh, previous characters in it. That's that's pretty cool. Pretty neat. Pretty cool. (laughs) But um, the lead up to it is awful and terrible. (laughs) Uh, You have to go through like the whole ancient Cthulhu city as Alex and it's just like this gauntlet of like combat and tedious puzzles in this floor that shocks you and it takes forever and like you're going through and there's like the way you cast those the spells is you have those runes or whatever and yeah. it's like a pentagon or a pentagon and then you know etc. Yeah there's a three five and a seven I think. It's, it's a five seven and nine. Five seven nine. Yeah. There's a three as well. Okay so it's three five seven and then the thing in the city is a big nine-point point. thing yeah. that you have to use to, like, make a spell to summon the whatever dark god you need to summon to fight the other dark god. Right. Um, and, oh, man, does it take forever. And you have to do it <laughs> twice. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't... It's, like, kind of similar to, like, what we talked about with Harvester, where... I don't know if they felt like they needed to, like, really, like, switch up the gameplay or go, like, real action-focused or, like, they needed to do something to make the ending stand out and they really just kind of fly in the face of the rest of the game with it. And it's kind of... We've talked about this a bunch of times. This is just, like, a thing video games seem to think 
is the way that you end your game is by giving you something that is totally separate from what you've been doing the whole time. Like Earthbound did this where like the last level leading up to its Eldritch Horror final boss uh, was just like a gauntlet of horribly powerful enemies yeah. with explosions. At, at least that's like a JRPG trope, so you right. understand where it comes from. But this game doesn't have save states, so you can't no. just be like, oh, if I didn't flawlessly execute that fight, yeah. start over. And, like, and at that point, like, you have a bajillion spells, you've got like the shield that lets you take seven hits, mm-hmm. like... It's it's not hard at that point to get through it all. It just wastes your time. Yeah, it's just long. Yeah. I like the fight with uh, the big stompy three-legged guy. Oh, yeah. I think that one was cool. It was all right. I, like, visually, it's really cool. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Eldritch Horror Monster is pe- is pretty cool. Yeah, you've yeah. got a good audience here for such designs. I mean, I'm pro, like, things which walk which should not walk and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think, like... I think that this can be final thoughts but let me prompt you mm-hmm. for your final thoughts this time actually before i do that jj did you like this game or did you think this game was like a uh, garbage fire that sounds like an exact description of final thoughts but really curt <laughs> <laughs> okay fair jj let's hear your final thoughts and then i might prompt you further <laughs> uh, i was conflicted on this game this game feels to me like one of the few straight-up C's we've ever played uh, on the podcast before. But not a C because of consistent mediocrity, but a C because of good elements contrasted with poorly aged and uh, at times just initially poorly designed elements that show its age. Uh, I, but yeah, this game has, to a lot of people, occupied a space of something that's kind of talked about in myth and legend because of the novelty of a lot of its uh, like scary, scary systems. Uh, and that's exactly where it should stay. Like, don't spend $200 to play this game. I can't imagine <laughs> how sad I would be if I spent that much money uh, like hyping this up as if it was another like Silent Hill 2, where right. in reality it's kind of just an interesting novelty that deserves to stay on like fact and trivial lists uh, and in the, the minds of people who had good memories about it from when they were 10. I will enjoy still having my copy like on the, the uh, on my, my shelf, you know, mm-hmm. for people to be like, hey, that it's, the game's expensive. I'm like, you're goddamn right it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so given that, yeah. Um, I'll just we can do this in however I so I I liked this game and I give I assume Andy has a similar impression, but cannot for the life of me pinpoint something specifically that I think this game did that was like just very good. Like I like this game as like an amalgamation of its parts, and I was wondering if you could fill that void. Can you point out something that you thought this game did like actually well? I think. For its time, this game was exceptional as a representation of Eldritch Horror. And as time has gone on further and that kind of style has become increasingly in vogue, uh, 
it's become overshadowed by other things that did the same aesthetic way, way better uh, with a, a lot more of a consistent tone. But like, but as, as I said earlier in the cast, like, this is a good representation of just conventional Lovecraft. I'm not going to take that away from it narratively. Um, it's just not the best video game. <laughs> Fair enough. Andy, you have, or you want me to go? I'll go. Um, I'm considerably more positive on this than JJ, and I think maybe even more than you, Chad. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, I think that is just for like a, a like a nostalgic ping that this game gives me. Uh, it really makes me feel like re- reminds me of like playing PS2 in my basement as a kid or whatever. But I know I would agree. Like it, it this game definitely shows its age, um, and just throws in every mechanic it can think of and it i mean and it's the result is exactly as you would expect it 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 just all of it's shallower than it should be (laughs) but uh if you don't if you know some if you have access to a copy of this game i would actually definitely recommend that you try it uh but as JJ said, if you had to pay the 180 bucks for it, definitely take pass and just watch someone play it on YouTube or something. Oh man, this would be like a super good Elders React video game <laughs> because they would be like have a greater understanding of a lot of the like electronic media jokes of the game. Mm-hmm. They would take the video and the volume things like really, really seriously and <laughs> might take several real life minutes to understand. Uh, the you're, ta- you're, you're talking about like a Fine Bros Entertainment Elders React video, not like the Elders <laughs> React. <laughs> this would be a great Old Ones React video. <laughs> Ooh, y'all. Uh, react. <laughs> Red Gormore reacts. <laughs> you can fall reacts. Absolutely. Uh, as Andy was saying, uh, I think he does come off as the most positive on this game as a whole. And I think that a lot of it has to do with just like level of patience and understanding for older games that I've lost over time. Mm-hmm. I, I've got that Yeah, still still on the surface. In spades. In spades. Uh, whereas, like, a lot of my frustrations with this game come specifically from it's just, like, design principles that are from the early 2000s. Things like having to, like, having a save that's only functional some of the time, and, like, if you don't save for a while and die, it just kicks you to the main menu, which also means that you have to, like, wait for the main menu to load. Like, it doesn't just reload you immediately, like a PC game might. That kind of a thing, I don't know, just, like, that grates on me, because it just adds, like, insult to injury after you've died. And, uh, is, like, partially why I didn't... Well, partially that, and partially because, like, we had we had one copy of this game <laughs> to right. be able to play, uh, but overall, like I do, I like so much about what this game does. Like I said, I think the spell system is actually really good. I just think it needs its kinks worked out. The uh, combat system needs a, a little bit more variety to it to make it work. Uh, exploration needs like a little bit more than some hallways and and square rooms, like. Everything is there, and it just isn't expanded upon. And the problem is that the game is like twelve hours 
long right now and if they tried to reduce the scale it would be even shorter than that and then people would have thrown a fit so uh i don't know i i i like it i think it's fine i think it's not as good as it could be and that's a shame Thank you for listening to No Clip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, uh, I can't do a spooky laugh because we're actually exiting October. But in November, we're going to be talking about uh, what remains of Edith Finch. Uh, which is still mildly spooky sometimes. Uh, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's like a walking simulator variety hour. And it's it's probably my favorite one of those. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope everybody else is, too. Until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on, is on our website at noclippodcast.com. Uh, there you can find links to YouTube and email address if you want to talk to us. Hi. Uh, all of our old episodes, links to iTunes and Google Play. Uh, this is our call to action. Make sure that you uh, you know like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. Leave us a five-star rating or a review if you're on iTunes. Do whatever you can to make more people hear about how cool we are. <laughs> and nothing other than that specific message. Yeah, just tell people that we are cool. Mm-hmm. This feels like a classic, <laughs> really bad no-clip outro. <laughs> classic. <laughs>so my so your question is like when did people first become upset about something in the video game industry like like deeply culturally upset in a way that can be like described as a thing as like the like the outrage over x when was the first of those I don't, I don't think it's ever happened before. Video game players are <laughs> a famously temperate and, you know, uh, understanding bunch. They've never been mad about anything except shortcomings with a, mm-hmm. a smile. Yeah. Diversity of opinion and Is... life perspective welcomed open arms. <laughs> yes. <laughs>